freedom wasn't necessarily a locational thing. It wasn't necessarily like Canada. It, it wasn't terra firma. You didn't have to necessarily get to a particular geographic location. Freedom was, um, you know, something within. It was the uh, ability to chart one's own course and to enjoy the fruits of one's own labor. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning and happy summer solstice. Um, it's just me today to introduce our special guest for this special bonus episode. Uh, if you're a Good Dirt listener, you know that we drop episodes every Friday, but we are dropping a special episode today, Saturday, June 19th, in honor of Juneteenth or Emancipation Day. We had such an amazing conversation with our friend Tony back in February. That episode is called Preserving the History of the Underground Railroad with Tony Cohen. I recommend if you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and give it a listen. So we invited him back to tell us all about Juneteenth and to give us some of history and context around emancipation and what that means. And if you haven't met Tony yet, he's a historian, nonprofit founder, and an author who operates Button Farm, Maryland's only living history center depicting 19th century slave plantation life and the heroic story of the Underground Railroad. He is the founder and director of the Minare Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to the creation of cutting-edge educational programs, including an Underground Railroad immersion experience based on the work he did with Oprah Winfrey. So we hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot. We definitely did and celebrate in this joyous day. Happy summer, everyone. Juneteenth uh, is a celebration of emancipation um, of enslaved people in the United States. It is a nationwide holiday that got its origins in Texas, you know, the past century and a half to, you know, really uh, uh, capture the imagination of Americans. It's called Juneteenth uh, because um, uh, it marks the day, June 19th, 1865, where enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, uh, were told that they had been freed. And so um, in true folkloric African-American style, instead of saying, hey, let's celebrate the 19th day of June, 1865, <laughs> we of course came up with Juneteenth uh, as, a, uh, as a shorthand for something that was pretty big, pretty big in the yeah. um, uh, in the experience. And um, just to clarify, for some people may not know, um, from my understanding from history class, slaves were emancipated much earlier than June 19th, 1865, correct? So why is that the date that we celebrate? Yes, and I, I have to say, I, 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 would still, I would still argue that the definitive book on emancipation has yet to be, to be written. Cool. But um, most people know from uh, school upbringing about uh, Lincoln's Emancipation uh, Proclamation. Uh, from 1863. And in the Emancipation uh, Proclamation, uh, President Lincoln um, basically freed the, the enslaved people who were held in bondage in 
the Confederate States. The uh, only rub with that was Lincoln didn't have control over uh, the Confederate States. And so uh, historians uh, say that even though it was a um, powerful and symbolic act, that it did not free a single enslaved person. After the Emancipation uh, Proclamation uh, was issued, it did, however, have an immediate effect. Uh, Slaveholders uh, throughout the the South uh, reviled it, criticized it, yelled and screamed and cursed it, uh, sometimes within earshot of their enslaved people who then spread the word. So in some sections of the country, here and there, enslaved people knew that freedom was on the horizon. But in a practical way, they didn't know um, how to access that freedom because uh, freedom hadn't arrived, you know, in, in the form of Union troops on their doorstep or whatnot. There were a few pockets throughout the South where uh, Union troops, Union soldiers were stationed. And in those locations, there was um, often an adherence to the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, Some people were able to uh, leave plantations or some enforcement of freedom or a system of compensation for enslaved people were enforced by Union troops. But for the most part, it was this idealized um, theoretical freedom only on paper. With uh, the coming of the end of the Civil War, it was uh, pretty much determined uh, to be the, the, the law of the land. Uh, Of course, it took the passing of the 13th Amendment uh, to the Constitution to officially abolish slavery, the 14th Amendment to grant the rights of citizenship, and the 15th Amendment to uh, grant voting rights um, only to African-American men, not women. Mm -hmm. So uh, out of, uh, you know, one movement into the next, In that time, I think people knew that freedom was coming. And so um, from place to place, they began to talk about and celebrate in many different ways uh, what a new one freedom would be. In fact, even after the end of the Civil War, the opposite of freedom occurred in several places where uh, some enslaved people were learning about the end of the war, learning about their emancipation as late as the year 1867. And um, other parts of the country where um, I think they would call themselves unreconstructed Southerners refused to uh, free their slaves. So um, they uh, uh, kept them on on lockdown on on plantations until um, uh, the time where federal authorities could step in and mediate, actually grant physical uh, freedom to those who had been held in bondage. So it's a often blurry time of history, uh, one that still needs to be uh, clarified and explored and discovered. So then why June 19th, 1865? Why is that cl- part of it clear? The Texas thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, so in, in Texas, um, almost immediately, uh, the day uh, appears uh, to take hold. So uh, June 19th, 1865, uh, Union uh, General uh, Gordon Granger reads the Emancipation Proclamation to a group of uh, enslaved people gathered at Galveston. Within the next year, there are the first formal uh, celebrations. And at at first, you know, these are like, you know, community gatherings. Um, So they would have been times where family members that had been um, uh, broken apart uh, under slavery 
would have been reuniting, where people would have been, you know, uh, receiving their first form of compensation for their labor, where Black legislators were being elected uh, to serve in state and national uh, government positions by, say, the year 1870. So each year brought a little more freedom and, um, and more desire for celebration. So uh, around this date, Juneteenth uh, in Texas, uh, you would have picnics and barbecues. Um, over time, people celebrated with parades. In my mom's hometown of uh, Houston, Texas, uh, in the early uh, 1870s, uh, Black citizens uh, purchased land and established Emancipation Park, which is, which is still there today uh, in the neighborhood where, where my mom grew up. And um, just a block or two uh, from uh, where um, uh, George Floyd went to school. And Emancipation Park uh, was there as a, you know, a public space for Black people, a place where they could uh, gather uh, socially and celebrate on uh, June 19th. So, um, so it really remained um, uh, a Texas uh, a celebration uh, pretty much through the 19th century and uh, early 20th century. Later, over time, um, especially uh, once we get to uh, the civil rights and post-civil rights uh, movement, and there is more of a, um, a Black power uh, movement, Black identity movement of the 1960s, people start looking uh, to Juneteenth as uh, a symbolic day for um, you know, recognition of emancipation generally. Um, so, you know, you always reach that hundred year mark, that hundred year century anniversary of something. Um, and then there's a resurgence in interest. And that's uh, what it appears as that happened with uh, Juneteenth. And so um, uh, Juneteenth starts popping up uh, across the nation. Again, um, the subject of, you know, uh, local picnics and art festivals. Um, uh, Juneteenth was the day where uh, people get, would gather and read um, uh, poems or sing songs by prominent uh, African-Americans. Um, uh, the Negro national anthem from the beginning of the 20th century, uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing, uh, becomes uh, a, a favorite at Juneteenth celebrations. And so uh, history even between um, uh, Juneteenth and you know, the 1960s uh, you know, gets revitalized and, you know, uh, uh, people are relearning uh, their history in the midst of making new history. And then um, you get to the 1980s um, and uh, early 1990s, uh, Juneteenth becomes adopted as a, um, a holiday, sometimes unofficial, sometimes official, by different state legislatures as this kind of, you know, standalone historical marker for the freeing of slaves. And um, I believe as of today, there's, I think it's two states that, there's only two states that don't recognize Juneteenth as a holiday in some kind of, in some kind of form or another. So the idea of freedom, um, uh, I believe is uh, that there can't be uh, too many holidays to celebrate freedom on. True. Right. Um, and we're, uh, none of us are free till we're all free kind of thing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. Tati, you do such a, a great job of portraying the picture of how um, the emancipation wasn't an overnight thing. It, um, it sort of trickled out. Is that the word? It sort of, um, it sort of happened over a period of time, which I think is, a perspective that that's important for us to understand as we look back on our American history. And I'm imagining those, those scenes you described of, you know, someone coming into town, a union officer and saying, okay, um, you all are free now. Um, a couple of things, first of all, would they have believed it? 
I mean, there might have been a lot of fear that it was, you know, a trick or not true. And then also they said, okay, now we're free. Let's leave. I imagine that was an extremely dangerous proposition because surely there were vigilante groups all over and people that were you know, very angry about this and didn't want them to leave. So um, I don't know. Is Give us some insight into that that period it's just kind of a, a, a what a gray area of freedom it's interesting because i think um if we just step back into the period of slavery slavery was uh, a system that was um, colloquial and discretionary meaning um what it looked like uh, what the um, how it operated was really based regionally and on specific uh, mores and values of those communities that it existed in. Yeah. And so, um, you, you know, it's uh, well known that um, slavery in Maryland, while every um, uh, form and permutation of the system, um, brutal to harsh, existed that Maryland uh, in terms of slavery became known as the middle ground or the middle temperament that the um, labor that slaves were and slave people were engaged in here and the industries and so forth weren't as in, in, intense and labor intensive as for instance, um, uh, slavery in the deep South where you had um, a lower life like uh, life expectancy, much harsher uh, conditions. So you have all of these different landscapes um, of geographical, economic, and, and social landscapes uh, or terrains that, you know, people had to negotiate. Even before the Civil War, you know, there are accounts uh, from, slave, from slave narratives where, um, several, you know, almost any time power changed hands and a new president was going to be elected, one opponent or the other said, well, you know, he'll free the slaves. And so there are actually accounts, um, uh, election results coming back in certain places and, and slaves throwing down their uh, tools because their owner cursed or about, uh, you know, uh, this particular uh, candidate uh, would free the slaves. So they, they were sure that a positive election result was going to result in their freedom. And they were mistaken. Many were actually very politically savvy, um, having um, politicians in Southern uh, legislatures, uh, in the national le legislature representing those districts from the South. And so they knew and could listen in on um, the um, political news uh, that was um, being uh, passed throughout the plantation house. So there was varying degrees of, of awareness. You know, even people who um, thought about escaping their captivity during uh, their period of enslavement uh, were told wild stories that. Uh, uh, the, that the abolitionists would, uh, you know, tempt slaves north so they could enslave them there. Mm. Um, on one, one plantation, a uh, freedom seeker who actually made it to the north reported that his owner had told him many times that uh, if you get to Canada, the uh, Canada geese will peck out a black man's eye. <gasps> And um, he determined in his mind that, it, that he'd take his chances with some, you know, grumpy geese as opposed to being held in bondage for life. So he escaped. So, you know, imagine, especially during the Civil War, uh, Union troops coming through, through, through the South. It not only terrified slaveholders, but enslaved people themselves because they didn't know what the result would bring. But, but people knew what freedom was. Um, they had a sense of it because they could see it every day. Um, their labor, their physical uh, and economic sacrifice created freedom for those who kept them in bondage. Um, so, you know, freedom wasn't necessarily a locational thing. It wasn't necessarily like Canada. Uh, it, it wasn't terra firma. You didn't have to necessarily get to a 
particular geographic location. Freedom was, um, you know, something within. It was the uh, ability to chart one's own course and to enjoy the fruits of one's own labor. Tony, are there instances where um, families, after emancipation, they would begin to pay their their former enslaved people and um, they stayed on in their situations? Uh, absolutely. And this occurred all throughout the South. Uh, some planters um, established uh, a wage and paid their, their, their formerly enslaved people. I know that um, here in Maryland, for instance, uh, planters in Charles County, after Maryland abolished uh, uh, slavery, which, which I'll speak about in a moment, um, they quickly organized and established an agreed, an agreed upon wage that would be paid to formerly enslaved people on uh, in Charles County, and that way the formerly enslaved would have, you know, would not have bargaining power and could not demand from, you know, uh, one employer more than from another employer. Oh, yeah. Um, eventually, the tenant farming system was established throughout the South, and that was really a reach back to the slavery system but um, with a, you know, kind of newfangled twist. So um, planters would thank their formerly enslaved people for the years of service, but then offer to uh, keep them on with wages. Mm -hmm. uh, they would throw in the housing uh, free of charge. You can live in that, you know, live in the house, live the same place where you have been and uh, earn a wage. But uh, under the tenant farming system, you would get your, your food sometimes uh, and, and, and other uh, supplies from the farm or plantation's general store. Uh, that could even uh, include uh, uh, clothing and other types of goods and services. And um, at the end of the month or the end of the year, you would settle accounts. So your wages were paid after you had reimbursed uh, the owner or the general store for uh, expenses. And uh, you want to take a guess? Yeah, that, <laughs> that sounds like running a business. Yeah. <laughs> yes, expenses always outweighed earnings. But there was a solution to that. You were allowed to stay on for another year. Oh, okay. Uh, and do it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it seemed like the best choice at the time. That's where the the expression, the company store comes from, you know, and oh, the, yeah. the meaning oh. behind that, you know, the meaning behind that is like, um, you, you know, the company store sort of owns you because of what Tony just described. Like you're always owing the company store, even though it's supposedly your money. So it's sort of a complicated thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, even though I'm guessing um, the term as we know it, the company store probably comes in later the coal um, mining. in places where they're like mining towns yeah, and stuff right. like that, they were absolutely drawing from a template, um, the, the, the template uh, that uh, came out of slavery earlier. And, and who knows, probably um, in different forms before that in other places. So freedom itself had a cost. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would say um, we, in many ways, are still working at winning our freedoms. Yeah. Oh. Tony, I'm so glad you said that because I was just thinking, um, you know, we, we talk about slavery and enslaved people and that, you know, it ended during this period of history. But um as you're, you're pointing out, it just evolves. It's called different things. It takes different iterations. It has different nuances, but still to this day, um, and especially in our highly industrialized system, certainly the clothing industry, the food industry, there are people that are living under such... Uh, restrictions and economic limitations and 
And I have a question for you. Why does it seem like we can't speak in terms of modern-day slavery? Um, that seems to be resisted. Is it because people feel like it minimizes that period in our history? I think whenever, um, whenever and possibly wherever uh, we are um, at any given time during the globe, uh, on, the, um, on the globe, any reference to any attention to injustice can appear to be, feel like an indictment. It's the mirror that, that, that we lift to our own face. Uh, and, and, you know, we can see, you know, all of, of, of our faults and shortcomings. And uh, I think that makes people uncomfortable, uh, especially when people start considering what their hand is in systems of injustice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, taking that uh, hard, introspective, critical look at ourselves, how we operate in the world, what our culpability uh, might be, can be very difficult. And furthermore, if we disagree with the, the negative condition, you know, if we're in our minds against uh, uh, slavery, but we buy our clothes from, you know, foreign sweatshops. Yeah. Um, I think there is an internal pressure. Often we view it as an external pressure to change our behaviors. Mm. And uh, when we uh, look to change our behaviors, that often means giving up comfort or something that we might think of as our own freedoms. Yes. Uh, and then there's the conflict, mm. uh, which makes us no different than people of a century and a half ago, except that we have eh, quasi better <laughs> health care than them, better sewage and sanitation. Oh, well, maybe not. Um, and we're uh, we have uh, more access to information, yeah. but not necessarily the ability or willingness to uh, learn and act upon the lessons that greater knowledge right. uh, provides us or with. to critically absorb information. <laughs> yeah. You got it. Exactly. Here's something I've thought of recently. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of you'll hear a lot of commentary out there that um, the goods that are available at an affordable price are necessary for people of a certain economic level because that's all they can afford. So it's really hard to change the system because of accessibility. All right. So I'm thinking, how is that different from the plantation owners back in the early 19th century that said they that yeah, maybe slavery, yeah, maybe there's problems with it, but we can't afford anything else. Our, our economy mm -hmm. won't work without this system. Are we not saying something similar now? Uh, yes, I, I, I think, I believe so. Uh, fit, let's take, for instance, uh, the fair trade uh, a movement, um, you know, buying, buying your products directly from uh, locations, villages, whatnot, where those products are produced and the money can go directly back uh, uh, to them is um, um, inspired either directly, indirectly, or uh, hap happenstance uh, 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 by the free labor uh, movement of the um, 1820s and 30s where um, Quaker-run uh, stores um, would um, offer items uh, that were produced not through slave labor. Wow. Um, yes. So uh, there was, uh, you know, many an abolitionist table uh, in the North that uh, uh, did not have a sugar bowl because um, uh, sugar was... Uh, produced by enslaved people. The same thing with cotton. Uh, cotton was a slave product. 
So um, it's not that we have newfangled ideas and new approaches, uh, you know, in the modern age, we, we draw from, 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 from time honored, uh, you know, freedom movements, but we're still needing to draw from time honored freedom movements yes. to exact the kind of change we want in the present. How enlightened are we? Um, yeah. What a loop. Yeah, and I, I, I love the example of the sugar bowl on the table mm-hmm. because um, that's the, the personal um, decision there of an, a, you know, an individual or a family or a household that that was one way in which they were not going to participate. And um, I think you know, the more we can educate people about how things arrive, onto their table or into the stores or so that people are able to make those decisions and, and begin an awareness of the complexity of this, that Mm -hmm. we're not talking about history. Juneteenth is not about something that happened in 1865 only. It has implications right now, every day for all of us. I love hearing about, um, these Quakers and everyone in, in Maryland, and you have such a wealth of knowledge about Maryland specifically. So um, can you talk to us a little bit more about local emancipation and yes. what happened here and is going on here? Absolutely. Our area has a very interesting history. And again, um, we're still uncovering uh, information uh, almost every day. But um, Maryland uh, is unique. Um, uh, during the Civil War, um, uh, it was distinguished uh, as a neutral uh, a state. It did not pick a side uh, um, uh, uh, during the war. Um, it was also, you know, uh, critically or uh, geographically uh, situated. So, um, uh, the seat of our government uh, in Washington, D.C. was um, uh, you know, physically located in the South. The Southern legislature, legislature had uh, withdrawn. Uh, so um, uh, Congress during the Civil War um, uh, uh, mainly had Northern uh, re- representation, but was surrounded by enemy territory. Uh, so uh, Maryland remaining neutral allowed um, uh, that um, essentially northern uh, uh, government to uh, continue, and it quickly moved to um, uh, to abolishing slavery in the district. Uh, in fact, uh, it was uh, April sixteenth, um, uh, eighteen sixty-two, when um, uh, DC abolished slavery, uh, and almost immediately, and to this day. Um, uh, that date in April is celebrated as DC Emancipation Day and is a city mm-hmm. holiday cool. and uh, was the subject of, again, you know, uh, festivals, uh, street fairs going all the way up uh, through the early uh, teens, 19 teens was the time of um, reunions of former, formerly enslaved people. There would be slave reunions um, um, as um, people uh, spent decades reuniting um, and remembering what uh, some of them refer to as the dark days, uh, you know, times of, uh, of enslavement. But here in our county, for instance, um, we actually benefited strongly from DC emancipation under the uh, federal act. You could free uh, your slave, your enslaved people and be compensated, uh, provided that oh. you either were a resident of the district, that you had property holdings in the district, that your enslaved people, whether you were in Northern Virginia or suburban Maryland, were actually employed in the district, you could free them. So one amazing example of, of, of this locally was uh, the Bell family of Rockville. Um, If anyone's been to uh, Montgomery County Historical Society, uh, it's the location of the Bell Dawson House, which is owned by the city of Rockville. 
or 1815-ish uh, federal uh, uh, brick uh, mansion. And um, Margaret Bell, uh, 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 who was the uh, patriarch of the um, estate at that time, freed, I believe it was either 17 or 19 of her enslaved people uh, for which she was uh, compensated. Um, I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think it was over $9,000 um, uh, through this federal act. Um, as a result, um, she then um, began selling to those formerly enslaved people uh, for uh, a, an amount fee simple of $5 plots of land formerly of the Bell estate. Uh, so today, the Bell Dawson house is uh, uh, still there. It's kind of fronted by uh, West Montgomery Avenue. Then it goes north, uh, following to the west of uh, North Washington Street in downtown Rockville, to a Black community called Haiti. And that's where the descendants or the you know, newly freed uh, enslaved people from the Bells uh, purchased their lots, built their homes, um, and settled. And their descendants are still there today. Um, wow. You know, if you were able to, um, you know, purchase one of those lots um, with the house on it, um, it could be a million dollars. Who, who, who knows, yeah. depending on the size of the lot. Um, so you see... Um, you see the results of, um, of um, you know, just an example of generational uh, a wealth that can be passed down when you own something. Um, and, um, and so, uh, um, you know, that's just one example of how uh, an Emancipation Act actually um, uh, helped transform a community. I know there's many or many like freed slave communities around um, the county. We might have talked about this last time too. Are those is that related to the Bell Estate? Yes, there are many of them, and um, um, a lot of those uh, settlements are carved from former estates, either on or adjacent to uh, where um, those former formerly enslaved people had been had been enslaved. Interesting. Um, some settlers of those um, uh, areas, you know, came from, you know, other locations and, 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 and bought land there. Uh, some uh, were the site of, you know, kinship communities. So family units um, uh, that extended back into slavery and, you know, uh, emerged after where uh, people who are related to one another uh, uh, settle um, in these unique uh, uh, on, enclaves. Um, the, the other form of, of freedom that we added here in Maryland actually came in November 1st of 1864, when the state of Maryland changed its constitution to formally abolish slavery. And this occurred six months before the Civil War. And it was the first example of a state legislate, or actually a state which abolishes slavery through um, popular vote. Uh, so it wasn't the state legislature deciding, it was the people, and it was a close vote. Um, it almost didn't happen, but it did. And wow. there was also a hope there that uh, perhaps uh, slaveholders would be uh, compensated for their loss. and. For those listening in, I'm 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 saying loss with air quotes. <laughs> Ultimately, they didn't get compensation, but as part of the process to consider compensa compensation, we have the records of all the slaveholders in in in, in Maryland who um, claimed, you know, who held people at the time of the Civil War, and it lists uh, those uh, enslaved people by name. So, you know, one, one result of Maryland emancipation is if your family goes back in Maryland to that period of time, whether you're enslaved or a slaveholder, those records are there. 
And uh, that kind of information is now being the, uh, the source of helping African-Americans break through that, you know, firewall to, um, to, to, to learn where they came from. And um, also for descendants of slaveholders to break through what became a wall of silence within their families and sometimes their communities and actually know who their ancestors had possession of and uh, to start bridging, bridging gaps, start uniting, uh, start starting to uh, 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 reach out and, 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 and face our history uh, together. Um, and, um, you know, I couldn't think of a, a better time uh, in our history for people to be coming together to um, face uh, our, our nation's original sin and um, mm -hmm. then create something new. Yeah. yeah. Tony, how do you celebrate Juneteenth? Well, with, uh, with uh, a party, if I can, margarita. <laughs> Sometimes a good whiskey, um, always at least half of the day napping. Uh, that is true freedom, <laughs> getting to nap with the phone turned off. Yeah. But in all seriousness, um, um, you know, I run uh, the uh, Button Farm Living History Center. So uh, usually I'm speaking at an event or uh, uh, you know, doing something history related. So, you know, basically out there okay. uh, commuting uh, uh, with the community. Um, my nonprofit, um, uh, the Veneer Foundation, actually runs a heritage tour company. And so uh, this Juneteenth, uh, we have uh, uh, our first bus, vaxxed busload of people <laughs> coming to Maryland from wow. New Jersey. Uh, to uh, do a tour of the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway uh, in Dorchester County um, and visit the uh, Harriet Tubman Museum and State Park. So um, I'm um, uh, uh, spending my Juneteenth this year introducing um, uh, people to um, Maryland's history, um, our amazing legacy of uh, struggle for dignity and human rights. Um, and we'll have some good food and maybe a drink or two along the way. And is your, now that things are opening up, um, how, what are your, what are Button Farms plans for the tourist, the tourism stuff for, has any of that moved up at all? Or are you still kind of like on pause till 2022? We are not on pause. We are go, go, go. Um, we opened the farm this year to camping um, on, I believe it was March 15th. Um, usually we don't even um, open the, the farm to volunteers until April because, you know, you have the winter snow and the grounds are wet and, you know, you bring anyone to the mm -hmm. farm, they get stuck in the mud. But this year was a fairly dry winter. So um, we got a two month jump on our normal schedule. So we uh, opened it up to camping. Um, if anyone wants to camp at Button Farm, you can find us on hipcamp.com. Um, yeah. And then we brought in volunteers beginning in April to help uh, you know, start uh, de-winterizing the, the farm and getting ready for uh, visitors. Uh, May 1st, uh, we opened uh, up to the general public. Um, we have a... Um, uh, a, a park, what we call a park and play pass, um, uh, $10 a vehicle, come out to the farm. You can do self-guided tours. You can get on your bike and um, uh, ride the trails around the farm. Um, you can uh, bring your own picnic. Um, um, just, uh, you know, spend a, a number of hours uh, uh, here out in the fresh air. Um, this month, June, we um, started guided tours. So um, every weekend I do um, a guided tour of the farm called Button Farm Almanac. And it's kind of the A to Z of the farm, what happens here um, and the uh, samples of the programs uh, that we do. 
um, coming up in July um, will actually be the 25th anniversary of my walk to Canada, uh, my 1996 expedition wow. from Maryland to Canada. And so... Um, That's weird because you're 25, aren't you? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, close. close. I'm you must have done that walk when you were I'm like 26. three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 26. Okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take the compliment. Yes, I, I was an infant when I crawled to Canada. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, uh, but yes, um, so I'll be doing a, 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 a silver anniversary uh, presentation. Um, and then we're just going to have a summer uh, of some interesting things. Um, I think everything by Juneteenth, our, our full schedule will be on our on our website so people can check that out. Um, but it'll be um, uh, different local uh, artists um, and uh, artisans who will be here at the farm throughout the summer. Um, we'll have a number of new tour experiences. Um, we'll have some old traditions. Uh, uh, in September, we'll, do, uh, we'll bring back our annual drinks on the veranda. Uh, oh, yes. where you come out and uh, taste some low, get the local spirit, as we say, <laughs> uh, and relax. And then um, everything from Underground Railroad uh, night hikes uh, to um, uh, some uh, events leading up to Emancipation Day uh, at the end of October. So um, Listeners can, um, you know, check out our website, buttonfarm.org. There's a calendar there. Yeah, just to celebrate the new freedom we all have. Uh, yeah, as we certainly. break the the shackles yes. of mask wearing and, um, um, you know, uh, isolation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Boy, it's a really different scenario from when we talked to you last yeah. time, whenever that was, back in January or whatever. <laughs> it just sounds like a whole new world. That's and you so guys exciting. sound so busy. Wow. I appreciate so much your historical perspective on all of this, your historical and your uh, human perspective mm -hmm. on, on the whole thing. And and it's, I've gained so much understanding today and so much insight into this. And I just really appreciate you coming on and and just talking to us about it. I know, and, and I feel so lucky that we're neighbors. I'm I like, know. sorry, anyone who doesn't live here. <laughs> I know. Me too. And, and, Come visit. And, and I'd like to just say one, one last thing in parting. I love this podcast. Um, oh. you did this, um, you, 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 you were in, so gracious to invite me on, um, uh, last year and recently, um, we sent out a newsletter, um, and we put in that previous podcast and within a week, a bunch of people just showed up at the farm because they were inspired by it. <gasps> um, and, um, um. Okay. Uh, you know, we are both, uh, you, you two and, and uh, Button Farmer are, are in our county's Ag Reserve. And for people who haven't been to the Ag Reserve, it's just this beautiful um, uh, swath of our county um, uh, where, um, um, you know, the emphasis is on, you know, land conservation and, um, uh, you know, digging in the dirt and, you uh, 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 planting on some of the many farms, but there's something else that happens here. There's a sense of community um, and it's not an exclusive community. Everything we do here um, is to welcome people in and create community uh, for, for yes. the larger community. So I, I, I just wanna thank you for, for doing so much for the greater community to create and expand community, to bring people together and then provide places, whether it's virtual through a podcast or physical where people can come, where they can open their minds, where they can get a moment to breathe and step back, um, where they can rejuvenate themselves like at one of your great retreats, right? Um, and then go back into the world, fully juiced up, inspired, ready to take it on and to bring about change. All of that says freedom to me. 
And um, I think it's a great inspiration for this Juneteenth or any Juneteenth. Thank you. Just thank you for what you do. And thank you for being friends. And thank you for having me on. Thank Tony. you, Tony. Thank you so much. We're just wipe our eyes over here. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Tony. Okay. So should well, we like sign off? <laughs> yeah. I think that was a great ending. Oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we'll include that everywhere. Yeah. you like listening to the good dirt i hope you do because you're here listening to it and are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast well we're so excited to offer the almanac it's our private slow living community network where we share workshops activities articles essays recipes and so much more that align with our community's sustainable slow seasonal way of living as a member you'll have access to information sharing and discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow-living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac-exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow-living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round, numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including... The Slow Living Retreat. As a Good Dirt listener, we are excited to offer you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up with this special offer just for Good Dirt listeners. Yay. That's ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac for three months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com community.